everyone, Dark Spider Divi here. Welcome to the first episode of the Dark Spider Cast for 2022. I hope that the new year is treating you well, as well as it can be, because hey, look at that. It's almost like we're receding back into our tribalism of March 2020 when the, the pandemic first broke out, because people don't like to listen. I know, I'm already ranting. Just barely started the episode, I'm already ranting, and I apologize for that. But anyways, guys. Welcome to the first episode that is sadly a little delayed. I meant to have this episode up a little earlier in the week of the first week of January, so my apologies on that. But uh, a couple of things have unfolded since then. Uh, mostly good, uh, a couple of it uh, not necessarily bad, but questionable or worrisome. And I'll talk about it here in the intro phase of the, uh, of the podcast. But at the same time, it's also kind of a blessing in disguise because it was half waiting for news to kind of unfold and and break out as far as like the gaming industry or the entertainment industry and some things actually have come to light that i definitely want to talk about in fact i'm looking over at my computer and i have multiple tabs of different articles from ign open up of a couple of topics that i do want to shed some light on that i look at and i go yeah you know that's actually kind of interesting kind of uh you know thought-provoking as far as the gamer inside of me you know the 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 material that i like to use my space here uh, within the podcast to talk about so we are going to be doing that but the reason why i mentioned the term procrastinate is because i've also been kind of idling by for my game of the year breakdown of 2021 i know that by this point almost everybody has already done their game of the year they've already kind of ranked their favorite games and whatnot i had to pretty much kind of stress myself a little bit into finishing a particular game that was originally going to be in my what i've been playing segment but because that game was in fact being played for my game of the year discussion i'm gonna have to kind of cut it out and just kind of segue it or fit it into the topic of the main topic of discussion in this episode, which is going to be Game of the Year 2021. I'm going to be ranking my top five favorite games leading up to number one, which uh, if you <laughs> follow me on Twitter or on YouTube or when I was streaming on Twitch regularly and you caught some of those live streams, you'll know exactly what my number one is probably by this point. But in case you're brand new to the podcast, hang tight because you guys are going to be hearing what I personally recommend as my favorite five games of 2021. There's going to be some honorable mentions and potentially some dishonorable mentions that I just cannot 100% click or are objectively just bad games. And I'm like, wow, I actually managed to play this. Thank God I didn't necessarily pay for it. But we'll, we'll get to that eventually. In the meantime, though... I would very much like to hear from you guys in the comment section, if possible. If not, it's 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 okay. I know I'm you know in the in the podcasting verse, it's very hard to have uh, interactivity going on. But of course, you could always interact with me and check out uh, my thoughts and you know my followings and my social media feeds via the platforms Twitter, Instagram. I'll play them again at the end. But if you guys want to check them out in the description, and you guys are brand new to the podcast, the description of whatever podcast service you're using should have links to my Instagram, my Twitter my website, my YouTube. I think the Twitch might still be there, but at the time of this recording, I'm taking an indefinite break from streaming, so no real use in following that. I mostly recommend either Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or the website even. So the new year is upon us, and here's the thing. I will admit that so far the year does feel a little... Rejuvenate, rejuvenating as far as energy and motivation to get things done, etc. Because th- there's definitely something in the air for me personally, very subjectively, 
about 2022 that I look at and I go, I think I can get shit done in this new year. It doesn't feel as like there's nothing kind of hanging over the air like 2021 did because even though the pandemic broke out in 2020 and everybody was like going chaos and chaotic because of everybody buying sanitizer and toilet paper and all that stuff to me i thought 2021 had more of that subjectively bad feeling i don't know what it was i don't know if i was in the minority of this but there was just something about 2021 that i was like i can't shake the feeling that it's this year that Games are going to get delayed, movies are going to get delayed, or they're going to be released in different formats that are not uh, optimal to how I would want to watch them. And because of that, people are going to complain that, oh, it didn't make that much money, which I pretty much called, such as Suicide Squad, etc. A bunch of other movies that got simultaneous digital releases, streaming releases, etc. But mostly games. Games for sure got delayed, hence why my Game of the Year discussion might not pack the punch that other game of the year segments that i've done in the past whether it be in podcast form or most notably in video form uh, have done that's actually one of the biggest changes is that for the first time i'm actually taking it to the podcast this specific dark spider cast uh, to be precise as my outlet for my game of the year discussion i was thinking about making a video but as far as like my energy and motivation to want to create video content right now, it's mostly geared towards the niche channel, not so much to anything that's kind of miscellaneous and kind of saturated slightly. Because when it comes to gaming, it really is kind of saturated, especially since it's about to get even more saturated with potential lockdowns here in the horizon because of how much uh, the Omicron variant and then a bunch of other stuff are starting to kind of spread these fears that, yeah, we are kind of going back. You know that things are receding back to how they were when the pandemic first broke out, when a number of retail stores and department stores are going forth on cutting down their hours. Best Buy just recently cut down their hours again from 11 to 7 instead of 10 to 9, 10 to 8, 10 to 9. So they shaved off a couple hours day to day. And I know that when I saw that bulletin, I was like, yeah. Okay, so it's finally hurting it where it's finally hurting them when it hurts, which is money. And as soon as that money starts hurting, then that's when stores and and you know organizations or whatever are going to start bringing down lockdowns to be sure to not instill any kind of fear and keep you know kind of product flowing, especially when it comes to online and you know, regulated different business model. So you know, all that aside, however, 2022 is definitely opening for the most part with great expectations the niche channel as i mentioned that's mainly where my motivation to create video content and edit that content shoot it uh get a regular schedule going is you know going rather well i have not uploaded anything this week which is a little worrisome because you know it's kind of ambiguous as to whether or not that's going to be affected by the algorithm towards your channel or towards one's channel where you know you had this regular schedule of posting twice a week and then all of a sudden you take one week off, is the algorithm going to be like, oh, is this guy done? I, I'm hoping that maybe it takes a little longer for the algorithm to feel like uh, the channel has been abandoned or no more posts are coming from that person. Because my intention is to return or to re-upload on Tuesday the 11th. And I know this for certain, it's guaranteed, because that's honestly the main reason why I took this week off, is to batch film or shoot in batch uh, content. So essentially, as it sounds, it's basically just taking the week off so that I can shoot and start editing back-to-back-to-back videos. That way, when that this regular schedule keeps up and going, 
two or three, maybe even four videos, which is ultimately the first two weeks of this uh, this new, I guess you could say, season of uh, Dark Spider David content for Batman and Spider-Man, um, is already in the can. And it's just a matter of publishing them, you know, posting the thumbnails, putting the metadata, all that stuff. And then it's just kind of said and done and it's up there and I don't have to fall behind. And this is also another strategy that I wanted to make I wanted to make sure to implement not only to get um, in a comfortable state of routine with the niche channel, but also in a comfortable state of routine, keeping in mind that I do have a new job starting on the 24th. That does also involve content creation, but it is a full time job nine to six uh, Monday through Friday. And that's going to be taking up a good chunk of my time. So because of that, I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to get as much shot as possible so that when that job starts, I don't have to stress myself about what needs to be shot, what extra B-roll needs to be recorded, what line, you know, what audio needs to be picked up or, you know, at that point, hopefully it's just a matter of editing that way. Immediately upon finishing my shift, which is going to be remote, by the way, especially now with how much uh, the 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 variants are growing and all that stuff. You know, it's going to be remote, but immediately after logging off of my shift, I can immediately just turn around and be like, all right, time to get to editing instead of having to, you know, set up the lights, set up all this stuff. Like, I've already shot batch content enough to hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, last me throughout the rest of January, really, and maybe even a, a little bit of uh, February. And again, the jump doesn't start on the 24th, so I technically still have another couple of weeks actually to shoot more batch content hopefully in the future um got a new camera so quality is going to be upscaled a little bit better uh, it's going to be looking a little crispier crispier um so you know all these things again with the new job c- coming up and then a lot of different prospects are more or less looking bright except for one little one that just had to come eventually i knew i, I had this feeling that it was going to happen eventually it's just becoming a bit of a tradition now for it to happen at the beginning of january but at the same time it's not illogical because it is flu season it is the cold season and this is when viruses spread the most and obviously because of that it's when uh, covid is now getting its second wind you know it's scaring a lot of people into these lockdowns and it's also scaring me and the girlfriend's relationship sadly well not really relationship but uh, at the time of this recording, it has been a good week since I saw my girlfriend. And the main reason why, you know, it's nothing private or anything like that, but it's basically, we fear it's almost like a 90% guarantee that she has COVID. Um, so far, she's taken it rather well. Uh, it's She says that it doesn't feel anything abnormal from a standard cold or flu. That Like the way that she's reacted to it is the same way she's always reacted to colds and flus. And as far as running nose, cough congestion um yesterday she was saying that she was feeling a little weak a little fuzzy headed but then again she was kind of running back and forth still at work which i even recommended to her not to do but because of how certain companies and places have different protocols in mind and that could be a reason for termination and i don't want that to happen to her like the same thing that happened to me i don't want it to happen to her but she says that she was very forthwith uh, forthwith forthwith with with her information to her higher up so she says that she's in the clear she did all the stuff that she needed to do and she was told to do those things and she she should be in the clear but the reason why we're like 90 percent confident that it is in fact covid is because sadly she not too long ago saw a friend in vegas and that friend in vegas recently got tested after feeling symptoms and came up positive 
uh, her sister also who went with her to Vegas also has had symptoms. She got tested. She's positive. So there's enough dots here to connect. Um, and because of that, you know, like I said, she's she's been tested. She's still waiting on results. They're a little bit backed up. But at this point, the results are more of a formality. It, it really, you know, there's no way. It, she is a legitimate X-Men or X-Woman if she comes up negative And it ends up just being a standard cold like she always gets around this time of year. That, that would just blow my fucking mind especially since this would have this would technically be her second run-in with COVID because her first run-in was last year when I had it and her and I had uh well I mean you know we're boyfriend and girlfriend we had contact and yet she didn't get it she she she, she didn't get it you know obviously at the time I didn't know I had COVID I was barely starting to feel symptoms but I would come up positive a couple of days later but she didn't feel nothing and she is very prone to feeling symptoms uh, now to play it safe, I do have a test lined up for later this afternoon, just to be on the safe side. I don't, I feel fine. I feel great. But then again, I'm also vaccinated and, you know, not to toot my own horn, but lately I've been taking care of my digestive system. I've been drinking this thing called Metamucil, which is like this fiber supplement that's also designed to boost your immune system with a lot of vitamin C. So it could be possible that I'm also a little asymptomatic and I could still technically be carrying it. So just to play it on the safe side. Gonna go get tested later on this afternoon and see uh, how long it takes for me to get results. Usually my turnaround time is about two days, so nothing, uh, nothing, you know, extensive as far as wait times. And so far they've done a spectacular job of keeping that consistent. Like literally every single time I've already tested ever since the whole thing broke out and I've needed to get tests done. Every single test, like quite literally, you know, four for four. I believe it's been four times, four for four. I get my results exactly two days later. So now granted it is Friday. So I don't know if the weekend's going to play into that. It's possible. So I might not be able to learn until Monday ish. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Well, we'll just have to play it by ear and just kind of hope for the best. In the meantime, though, uh, me and the girlfriend are still texting from the sound of it. I, I mean, here's the best way I can put it. I know for a fact she's okay. If her appetite is not at all compromised, which it definitely is not. She says that she's been uh, eating actually rather quite frequently because she she feels like her body's just going through a, a lot of metabolism. <laughs> so the fact that she's still being able to eat, even though her 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 taste and, and smells a little iffy, it kind of comes and goes. Her actual hunger is still there, so the fact that that doesn't have that doesn't have that has not been dissipated is really good to hear. So sadly, that's so far been the only wrench in the gears that has been the new year thus far. But so far, 2022 has not been too bad. I mean, I know it's only been a week, one down, 51 more to go. Uh, we just lost Betty White, and I know I know that that was technically 2021, but that was a difficult pill for a lot of people to swallow. Not so much for me because you know, 99, she was kind of on the bingo card already. <laughs> I feel ter- I feel kind of terrible, but also kind of not saying that because it's like, come on, like when people feel sad for someone who dies in their 90s, I'm kind of like, well, let's look back at their life. Look how much they got done. When Stan Lee died, some people were sad, and yeah, it's going to be sad to not see him in the cameos anymore, but he fucking Stan Lee, you know what he did? And he lived to like, what was it, 93, 94, or maybe 95? 
around there, it's like, that's pretty extraordinary. And the same goes for Betty White, 99, and Golden Girls, and all the different appearances. I think she's an Oscar nominee, I'm going to have to check. But the impact that she had on a bunch of people, her comedy, the way that she was able to make people smile, and you know, almost everybody that worked with her has nothing but amazing things to say about her. It's like, you did it, you know? You definitely are a Golden Girl. Go through those pearly gates, because you earn them. And now, at the time of this recording, I wake up to the news that we lost Sidney Poitier, uh, who's also another, as the outlets call him, trailblazing star, which he truly was, you know, he... Uh, first African-American to win the Oscar, he walked, you know, he protested for civil rights, he did, he, he lived the life, and likewise, I think he was, uh, 94, I think, yeah, he had 90s as well, so, this is another one where I'm like, yeah, you know, he passed away and we lost him, but at the same time, I feel like, instead of mourning, we should be celebrating what he was able to achieve, and, uh, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. So rest in uh, rest in peace, or as they say, rest in power. And he's probably you know being greeted by Betty White right now. So R.I.P. to those two absolute legends. <laughs> huh. Normally it's around this time that I jump into the what I've been playing topic, but I'm going to delay or belabor that topic just a slight bit we're going to tackle some news first and the main reason why is because one of the games as i mentioned before that i was playing this week trying to wrap up is for game of the year or at least for the game of the year discussion and therefore i'm like you know what i'm going to shove that topic topic a little forward a little slightly so i'm going to tackle some news i i actually have quite a bit some of which broke out this morning and then some others that broke out in the past couple of days as to um, making me feel kind of grateful that I did not talk about the, the or I didn't tackle the podcast a little earlier in the week because then I, otherwise I would have missed out on some of the stuff that's actually rather uh, intriguing. So this one's really, really quick. The Boys Season 3 has finally been confirmed starting on June 3rd, 2022. So June 3rd, The Boys Season 3 is finally premiering, and it's going to be opening with three episodes. So three episodes right off the get-go will uh, be going live on June 3rd, and then the remaining five episodes will air every Friday through July 8th, per IGN's article. Now, here's the thing. This is the reason why I said that this one one was the... um, the the one story that I'm not going to talk about for too long or I'm going to dwell on too much because, sadly, I've still not seen season two. <laughs> I've seen season one, and I absolutely loved it. But the problem, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's a condition, if you will. Me and the girlfriend made the boys one of our shows. It's like one of our shows that we have to watch together. Like, we started it together because when the first uh, season uh, came out, it was literally around the time that we had our anniversary. And I distinctly remember checking into the Airbnb, and there we are, binging through almost all of the boys. I mean, it wasn't only one night. I think we finished it over the span of like three nights. But we really did spend the weekend uh, watching the boys. Of course, that was at nighttime when we already checked into the Airbnb. We knew we weren't going to go back out. We ordered takeout or we had some food in the in the kitchen that we had bought so that we can heat up and make that stuff for our, our getaway during the days when we went out and we saw the sights and visited the places and did what we wanted to do. Um, but at nighttime, we kind of settled on binging the boys. <laughs> that sounds weird. That's, that's a weird phrase. But yeah, we got season one out of the way. 
And we kind of told ourselves that we were going to try to watch season two together. And now we have exactly, what is it, five months? Yeah, just a little under five months to get season two under our belt. So I'm hoping that hopefully in the coming weeks, as soon as we're cleared from this whole uh, potential COVID infection fiasco that the two of us are dealing with right now, specifically her, we will finally be able to conjoin, whether it be in her place or someplace, and be able to watch The Boys Season 2. Whether we binge it or we get a couple of episodes in, I'm hoping that we can nail this down before The Boys returns in June. And who who knows, maybe we'll leave it alone for the summer and then come August for our next uh, anniversary, we'll check out another Airbnb and then we'll settle on then to then finally watch Season 3. I know that by then we're going to have to make a massive effort to avoid spoilers but it's something that i'm definitely looking forward to because the boys after watching season one it's definitely one of our favorite shows uh, as to what it's doing can't really comment on to what we're expecting out of season three because i have not seen season two i don't know the ins and outs i've been able to dodge spoilers but it's only because through a matter of effort of like muting words and avoiding social media when it was kind of running that now it's thankfully kind of behind us, but now with this new headline, I, I'm scared that we're going to start seeing a little bit more of that come to fruition. So hopefully I can we can get season two out of our way. The next one here is also another quick one because it was kind of inevitable. You know Nintendo can't resist. You know Nintendo knows uh, money-making property when, when they see one, and there's no way that we weren't going to get a new entry in the Mario Kart series. Nintendo has announced, or actually, it's not really announced, but it's more of a reported uh, rumor or a rumored report. It's one of those things where they say reportedly. This is from IGN. Mario Kart 9 is reportedly in development with a new twist, and Nintendo could be set to tease the game this year. And this is an article by Jerry Moore over on IGN. Quote, according to an industry analyst, <laughs> those, those damn and industry analysts, Mario Kart 9 is currently in active development, will have a new racing twist, and could be teased this year. The speculation surrounding the game across the Tokyo-based industry analyst Dr. Sirkon Toto. Toto. I'm trying to I'm trying to weave uh, uh, Africa or Ro- Roseanne or hold the line pun in here, but I can't. I can't. I haven't had I haven't had enough coffee to come up with something yet who when writing his predictions for the upcoming year for gameindustry.biz and said that a new entry in the beloved racing series is on the way now this is the quote of said analyst dr sir Toto. i am aware mario kart 8 deluxe is still selling very well on the nintendo switch but mario kart 9 is an active de- is in active development he said before saying that nintendo could tease the next entry of the franchise this year What's more, Total also stated that Mario Kart 9 may launch with a new twist. New Mario Kart games regularly include twists on the karting formula, from double dashes to character karts to Mario Kart 8's anti-gravity sections. While the analysts refrained from adding further, huh, good move, because Nintendo's got snipers on your ass by that point, that hasn't stopped fans on social media from speculating as to what the twist might be, from theories suggesting that the next installment could bring in a range of stars from other franchises to others routing for an F1-centric take to the popular series. The community has done a good job so far for offering up suggestions, story, potential, upcoming reveal, and I quote, and and I quote, end quote. 
And it's funny because when I did see this headline, then I went over to Twitter. There's a couple of people that I follow on Twitter that are, you know, huge Nintendo heads. You know, they cover Nintendo on YouTube. It's regularly what they talk about on their channel. And one of them is Kevin Kenson. Some of some of you listening may know who Kevin Kenson is. He covers an awful lot of Nintendo-centric products and materials and services on his channel. Um, sometimes, you know, anything that has to do with the Switch. Most of the time, it's stuff with the Switch. But every so often, he'll tackle stuff from Xbox and PlayStation. But it's mostly Switch. Mostly Nintendo. And he tweeted a joke that he jokes. But I'm over here kind of like, shit, I would not rule it out whatsoever. And he said that the twist would be other franchises, like I mentioned here in the article. But then he went into saying that a third of those that franchise is uh, of those new franchises franchises is going to be Fire Emblem. <laughs> I'm like, well, damn. I mean, that who's to say that it isn't? You know, you got Fire Emblem characters, all of them with a sword, on a on a kart racer, uh, on a Mario Kart. You know, vehicle. It's oh my god, that, that'll be a sight to see. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know because they kind of dipped their toe a little bit in eight with dabbling with other franchises. From the, is the villager in there? I can't remember the villager in there, but we definitely have the Inklings from Splatoon, and then we have Link. Um, but I can't remember if there were any other characters. I would say that maybe that's an angle they could go with. Uh, the other theories that were being you know thrown up here were the F1 race star mechanics, including a damaging system. Is this right here, where you have to like go into pit lanes and stuff like that? That'll well, here's the thing that that sounds cool on paper. I just don't want it to ruin the pacing of of the racing. You know what I mean? Because that's always stopped me from stopping. Like take uh, f- the Forza series, for example, whether it be motorsport or Horizon. There's always going to be sections where you can make a pit stop to repair your car, most notably in motorsport, because I feel like motorsport's meant to be more realistic as opposed to Horizon. I never really stopped at those pit stops because as a gamer, I'm like, I just want to keep racing. I don't want to take this realistic approach of stopping to wait for my AI-controlled dudes to replace my tires and change my oil and put more gas and do all this stuff. I I don't care really for that. So I'm not saying I wish that they don't, but I will just simply not use it. Right now, right at this very fucking second, I don't care about new twists on Mario Kart 9. I want them to fix the rubber banding, all right? I want them to fix the concept that I could be racing in in a match in Mario Kart, be in spot number 2, or three, you know, be in third place, second place, whatever. And out of nowhere, uh, yeah, there's a blue shell. Or simply, just randomly, some dude just comes on by, hits me with something else, whether it be a red shell or a banana peel, whatever. And the, I don't want to say the lag, but rather the impact is harsh enough that I go from spot number two, spot number three, you know, second place or third place to like ninth or tenth place. Like there's just been a plethora of bullshit moments in the times that I have played Mario Kart 8 that I, you know, it it made it very quickly a game that I would just play on streams when I was streaming. Like I would never really play it just for fun. I'll be like, no, I had my fill. And I'm hoping that that's something that they can look into as far as physics as far as mechanics as far as that overall system and just kind of give it a little bit of an overhaul like i really don't care for the new twist right now i want them to fix the rubber banding if they can get that done 
and they could show us some really clean, awesome, and fun gameplay for Mario Kart 9, which is probably not going to come out until next year. Because if right now, any game, whether it be from Nintendo or anybody else, if a game is being touted right now as being in active development, then we're probably not seeing a release until... 2023. All right, this next one is also hitting a little close to home since it is pandemic related, which breaking news as I record this, I got the text from the girlfriend. So as I said before, we were waiting on results. She got them and she is in fact positive. So I would appreciate your guys' best wishes and get well soon thoughts over to the girlfriend. She, she's, she's handling it just fine. Like I said, it's more, she's reacting to it like a regular cold or flu, but you know, it's just the notion that that's what it is. It's like, and she's not vaccinated. It's, you know, it's just a thing to continue to monitor and check out up close. So hopefully things turn out for the best. And hopefully also the incubation period will kind of pass on through a little bit, um, a little bit um, quickly. I don't know. No, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But anyways, this next story is also somewhat pandemic related, even though a lot of people are throwing out... I don't want to say allegations, but rather speculations and even some information that it's not what it seems to be. But E3 2022 has been canceled, or at least the in-person event has, while the digital part of the entire spectacle, the entire show, is still, it's technically still going, except they're still a little uncertain as to whether or not they're going to go with that either because of just the way that so many companies are doing their business as far as showcasing their titles, having their own conventions, having their own um, showcase presentations digitally, uh, especially after the outbreak of the of the COVID pandemic back in 2020, like the way everybody was doing like Nintendo Direct style kind of presentations. It's like, why not just continue doing that? So now at this point, it's like, what is E3 like permanently dead now? Is this the final blow? This is an article uh, written by Rebecca... Is it Rebecca? Yeah, Rebecca Valentine over at IGN. The EISA has canceled its in-person event for E3 2022 according to a statement shared with IGN by the ESA. But while they point to upcoming announcement, uh, upcoming announcements, the future of the show this year and beyond remains unclear. And this is a quote from a statement by the ESA over to IGN. Due to the ongoing health risks surrounding COVID-19 and its potential impact on the safety of exhibitors and attendees, E3 will not be held in person in 2022. We remain incredibly excited about the future of E3 and look forward to announcing more details soon. This effectively means that currently E3's 2022's very existence is uncertain, with no dates set or no physical event planned. That would theoretically leave a possibility for a digital showcase, but in a follow-up communication with IGN, the ESA added that it would not at this time, yeah, at this time confirmed whether or not this would be a digital event this year instead of the physical event as there was in 2021. Now, here's the deal. There are some insiders. I'm not going to, this is not from the article. This is paraphrasing from other tweets and other little like sources that I kind of pulled through from Twitter and other parts of the interwebs stating that apparently this does it uh, like there's rumblings going around from like boardrooms and zoom meetings and stuff like that that this decision was actually made back in like mid to late november before the omicron e variant even surged before there was even an uptick in covid cases so yeah the pandemic was still go going on but some conventions and some in-person events of different stylings were going down so the fact that they made this decision to cancel the event way back in November 
but now they're saying it's because of the COVID variants and the Omicron variant and whatnot, leads a lot of people to believe that maybe it was just, you know, them saying that this is how they're going to quietly phase out E3 as an in-person event altogether, you know, pandemic or not. Like, it's their way of saying, yeah, you know, it's not raking in the numbers, the way that the digital landscape has evolved with the way people are communicating with Internet. And then, of course, these companies becoming kind of self-aware, starting with Nintendo and now going on with the likes of Capcom, EA, uh, PlayStation with their state of play, Xbox with their showcase, that E3 is not really needed anymore. It really isn't. I mean, it was awesome at the time. I, I mean, right now, I'm almost done. I'm on the la- second to last episode of the docu-series, if you will, the documentary series of Power On, the Xbox story. Them telling about the making of the first Xbox, the Red Ring of Death with the 360, and then, of course, whether or not the Xbox One should have been a TV console instead of a gaming console, etc. I'm almost about to be wrapped up with the whole series, but... It was so surreal and also kind of nostalgic watching some of those E3 presentations and E3 footage from the early 2000s, specifically 2000 and 2001, in that documentary series. It brought back memories. Even if I wasn't an Xbox person from the beginning, I do remember what it was like to stay attentive to what broke out of E3 while my computer was connecting to that dial-up modem. <laughs> and I was just waiting to see, you know, if they had shown the new Smash Brothers Melee trailer or Luigi's Mansion or whatever was coming to the GameCube. And so that's definitely, in my opinion, the peak of E3 was early to mid-2000s. Since then, you know, like I said, as the internet kind of evolved and the way that people are able to use that as a tool to do things a little safer, especially because it's similar to like the movie theater thing where I don't think COVID itself was like the death of these kind of in-person events or these kind of things to do physically in person, but it was definitely the catalyst to get the snowball rolling downhill to eventually just hit and be like, yep, it's done. And so, you know, a lot of people, including myself, a lot of analysts saw the writing on this wall. And now with these, you know, the insiders kind of whistleblowing a little bit saying, hey, you know, this decision was actually made in November. It wasn't even recent. They're just recently announcing it. But in terms of actually making, you know, signing on the dotted line saying there's not going to be an E3 in 2022 before even Omicron became a thing. That should be telling enough that and the fact that they're not they weren't quick to confirm a digital event means that maybe E3 is legitimately done. Maybe E3 2021 was it. We had a good, more than like 30 years of it or 25 years, but it's time to put it to rest because now it's been clear that with the pandemic, physical in-person events are not going to happen anytime soon. And by anytime soon, I'm not even talking about this year or the next. I'm talking probably within the next four or five years. And then digitally-wise, why should... Like, literally, it's a legit question. Why should companies like Xbox, PlayStation, and most definitely Nintendo, since they haven't been doing it for almost a decade now, PlayStation, Xbox, EA, Capcom, uh, Ubisoft, etc., you know, go go to the ESA, especially after all other controversies that they have dodged recently with, uh, you know, the leaking of information, you know, people that re- registered and their information was out there and compromised, et cetera, et cetera. Why should they do that? They, they, they shouldn't. They, they can't. They won't. 
And because of that, I feel like it's time to, you know, archive the that old school E3 footage and that's probably and rerun it because that's probably going to be your best way to relive some of those best better E3 moments because E3 is probably officially dead. And it's just a matter of time before the ESA finally confirms that. And the last piece of news I'm going to tackle here before moving on to the, my main topic. The PlayStation VR 2 has been confirmed in the quietest way possible. Like literally it was the other night. I just refreshed IGN and there was an article there saying, oh yeah, by the way, Sony did like this behind the... I don't want to say behind closed doors, but this little like, con- you know, press conference thing. And they were like, oh, yeah, we're, we're you know, the official title of the next uh, VR set is going to be PSVR 2. And then today they're like, oh, yeah, here are the specs. So we haven't seen the headset itself. We don't have a release date, which, pro- to be honest, I personally wasn't expecting a release date to even be happening this year. I would probably say it's going to be likely more of a holiday thing next year. I think right now they need to focus on just making more PS5s. I mean, come on, let's get the PS5 rolling first before we even think about adding a peripheral to it. And so because of that, I, I just find it really strange that they just can't nonchalantly announce this thing. But we do have the PSVR 2 specs. I have the chart right in front of me. It's actually rather an impressive piece of hardware. It's just that there has to be that one thing. I'm failing to see that one thing that makes me go... Yes, this is something that I'm definitely going to get from a PS5 as opposed to just relying on my old-fashioned Quest, my original Quest as well. It's not even the Quest 2 anymore. It's still the original Quest, the gray one, the black one. And I'm still preferring that as my preferable VR platform, my preferable way to experience VR. And so I'm looking at the specs, and there's quite an awful lot of, like I said, impressive upticks, not only from the PSVR, but even the Quest 2. But there's still one or two caveats that I look at and I go, "Uh, I don't know about that. So I think the biggest thing when it comes to VR headsets is, of course, the clarity and the resolution of the lenses themselves and the display. Because it's one thing for the games just to look pretty. But it's another thing also to make sure that your customers don't get motion sick. And that ultimately falls on the resolution of the screens themselves and how they're going to be able to be absorbed and comfortably digested both figuratively and, and, and literally, by the player as they're navigating through these VR worlds. And I'm looking at the resolution here for PSVR 2, and I'm like, holy shit, look at that, compared to the original v- PSVR. The resolution per eye, so per lens, of the PSVR 2 is 2,000 by 2040 pixels per eye. So that's 2,000 by 2,040. The original PSVR had a 960 by 1080 per eye. That's almost twice, twice as much resolution. Look at that. And now the Quest 2 was definitely a lot better than PSVR, but PSVR 2 is looking to, you know, possibly give the Quest 2 a run for its money because the Quest 2's resolution is 1832 by 1920 per eye. And the PSVR 2 is targeting at the very least 2000 by 2040. Okay. Okay, I, I, I see you, uh, PSVR. I'm liking that uh, that uh, comparison. And then just to kind of um, give it an extra you know, piece of competition here, the Valve Index is also up on the chart. And the resolution per eye for that one is 16 by 1440. So that one's actually 
probably the second to lowest compared to the PSVR. So resolution's looking pretty good. It's going to have an OLED display, which is better than the Quest 2 or the Valve Index, but the PSVR surprisingly is also OLED up to 120 hertz, although the Valve Index is able to uh, thwart all of them with 144 hertz. And then the tracking is going to be inside-out tracking, which is similar to that of the Quest 2s. Um, and much better than that of the PSVR because with the PSVR you would need the camera to be able to capture the movements of the headset. So the fact that you will not need a secondary camera to be hanging off your TV or anything like that is definitely a huge bonus. It's going to be eye tracking and um, it looks like everything is still you know up to par with what you would expect out of a headset. You have the headphone jack. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to be corded, so unlike the Quest 2, this is probably going to be the biggest um, thing about the Quest 2 versus the PSVR 2, is that the PSVR 2 is still going to be needing a hardwire connection. From what I read, it's only one cable, it's not going to need all this, because that was, that was the biggest thing about the PSVR that turned a lot of people off, myself included, that there's like a lot of cables. Well, from the headset outwards, there was only, I think, two cables, but it was the headset then to this box that then the box needs to connect to the PlayStation 4. So there was an additional piece that did come as part of the VR headset. You didn't have to buy separately. But just the fact that you needed extra setup and an extra shelf space or room to put this extra box that then had its own set of cables to then connect to the back of the PlayStation 4 console, etc., etc., it was just so much that when the Quest, not even the Quest 2, but even the original Quest was like, yeah, you just need the headset and the two controllers. Turn it on, hook up to your Facebook or, I'm sorry, Meta account, and then you're good to go. Like, that was a small price to pay as far as setup was concerned. To be like, all right, we're in it. We're ready to play. We're ready to go into these worlds. We're all hunky-dory, and look at that. The quality is top-notch. That's what sold me on the Quest, the original Quest, not even the Quest 2. So the PSVR 2, I kind of wish that was it was able to be an optional thing for the cord because as I'm navigating to this table here, it reads that the PSVR is corded. It says that the Valve Index is corded, which I knew that. And then when it gets to the Quest 2, it says optional because as we all know, both the original Quest and the Quest 2 have the option to be corded in case you ever want to use your gaming PC, laptop or desktop, to run the graphic fidelity of the game and then your quest is just a kind of like a viewing a format or a viewing platform to be able to actually navigate through the VR worlds but your computer is doing most of the heavy loading the heavy work when you're recording it via the USB-C cable I was kind of hoping a similar principle would have been applied to the PSVR 2 but it looks like that's not going to be the case you're still going to have to mandatorily mandatorily you're still going to be mandated to connect to the PSVR 2 to either the PS4 or more than likely the PS5. Because that's the thing too is that as tough as it is to come across these consoles still, and it's probably going to be even tougher going into the back at the first half of 2022, I still kind of hope that it's going to be PS5 only because at least that'll kind of give me a sense that whatever VR worlds are waiting for us at that other side of the spectrum, they're going to be fully fleshed out worlds, better looking worlds that hardware from the PS5 is going to be able to handle. As I'm going down this um as I'm going down this table, I also see right here additional hardware required. PSVR2 says yes, P3 
PS5. I see no mentioning of the PS4, so it looks like that is going to be, in fact, the case. Whereas when we go down to the PSVR section, it does say PS4, PS5 with adapter and a PlayStation camera. That's the additional required hardware, which we all know. So the fact that here this table is confirming that it's only going to be ps5 but it's only the ps5 that you're going to need you're not going to need extra peripherals maybe the controller depending on the game but no extra camera that is definitely good to hear when we go over to the quest then we get the optional stance of a gaming pc but the valve index requires the gaming pc then we get to controllers, and it says right here you got Sense Controllers, as they're calling them. So I'm assuming it's either going to be a combination of the DualSense for, like I said, particular games, or it's going to be a revised version of the remotes. You know, I don't want to, you know, let, okay, let's call them for what they were, the Dildo Controllers. Let's go. <laughs> the Dildo Controllers, the original PlayStation Move controllers, they're probably going to come up with a new set of controllers called the Sense Controllers here. Um, you're going to need two of them, of course. Whereas with the PSVR, it's showing right here that the controllers uh, in mind are either the DualShock 4 or the PS Move, aka the original Dildo controllers that you would need two of. Oculus Touch, which is of course the two basic Oculus controllers for the Oculus Quest 2, as well as the original Quest, and then the Valve Index controllers for the Valve Index, etc. So those are so far the uh, straight up specs that we were provided with. And this IGN article that I'm looking at goes into a really good in-depth look as to each of the specs and what they do. I'm not going to read. It's going to make up a huge chunk of this podcast episode already. But this article actually goes into full detail as to what exactly the OLED display is going to be capable of, the resolution, etc. I'm not going to go into all of it because, like I said, it's just too much as I'm scrolling here. I just wanted to get the bullet points out of the way, which were provided by the table. And from what I'm seeing so far, the PSVR 2 definitely looks like a very capable piece of hardware. And I'm definitely going to keep it on my radar. I, the only thing, like I said, that's kind of diffusing a little bit of that hype or anticipation is that there's not you still have to connect it to the PS5. And now with the prospects or the the limitations that the Quest was able to kind of get rid of with no cables i failed to slightly see why playstation then again oculus is not doing any consoles on the side whereas playstation is doing it so they kind of have to like maybe split up their work ethic or something and that's where the cable kind of comes into play but it would have been nice if there was some kind of hands-free or cable-free solution to the psvr2 however if that resolution is as gaudy and as upgraded as it is like I said, I'll be keeping an eye out for it as far as those reviews and that price point. Because as of right now, we still don't have a price point or a release date. So it's one thing for me to be impressed by the by the table here of specs. It would be another for me to be looking at these specs and then thinking to myself, please keep it under $1,000 and for PlayStation to go back to their their 2006 ways of feeling like they could price it at any point. All right, that was the news. And like I said, normally this is where I would talk about what I've been playing, but because that game that I've been playing was for this topic, it's time to tackle game of the year 2021, but rather briskly. Because like I said, 
the 2021 was the the year that I looked at and said, yeah, shit's going to get delayed. <laughs> it's, you know, games are going to get delayed. How many games of 2022 that we're anticipating were originally supposed to come out in 2021? God of War. Uh, Horizon. Like, just so many that were like, oh, yeah, holiday 2021 or, you know, September or whatever. And then, poof, here we are at the beginning of Dying Light 2. Like, just Sifu plethora of so many that I'm like yeah you know despite there being some heavy hitters for me personally 2021 overall in the big picture sense of things could have been a little better if it wasn't for the pandemic but of course that's something that we simply just cannot control just the nature of things of of life of of earth trying to trying to fix itself (laughs) anyways let's talk about my top five now here's the thing I definitely played more than 10 games so officially I could have done a top 10 but the bottom, a good chunk of the bottom five of that top ten, they were good games, that, but they were never, like, top ten material. You know what I mean? Like, as I said them out loud and thought about them within the prospect of either a list here on the podcast or in the, in the form of a video, if I was making, like, a top games of 2021 video, I just thought about them, and I'm like, why? They, they feel more like honorable mentions because even though I was liking the games as I played them, I never really thought as like, oh yeah, this is one of my standouts of the year. This is definitely going to be talked about during that time when I talk about the best games of 2021. Not really. It would have felt like I was just putting them in the list just to kind of fill in those spots. So even though I played, I want to say, about 16 or 17 games from 2021, which means uh, seven of them could have been cut out and I could have had a meaty 10. Out of those 10, it would have been only been about like six or seven genuine titles that would have earned those spots. And then the other three would have just been in there to kind of fill in the void. You know what I mean? And and because of that, I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not going to call it a top 10. My OCD doesn't want to have it be a top seven or top eight. So we're going to round it out to the top five. And then whatever those number six, seven or eight spots were going to be, those are going to be my honorable mentions that we'll tackle before finally announcing or rather re-announcing my number one favorite game of 2021, which like I said, if you guys follow me on my social media, my YouTube or my streams on Twitch when I was streaming, you pretty much already know what that number one is. I'm very vocal about things as I kind of go along. But for now, let's start off at my number five, Monster Hunter Rise. Monster Hunter Rise. Very genuinely surprised by this title in the Monster Hunter series, considering that Monster Hunter World I liked, but I wasn't in love with because it was a little too daunting with the different systems at play, the grand open world, which, like I said, that's not inherently a bad thing. It's just that there was just a combination of how many things to keep in mind as far as equipment management and, oh, you have this thing now to, you know, take care of this other thing that then will then upgrade this thing. And then you have to make sure to track down these scales and this element of the the monster. Plus, the absolute brutality of some of these monsters towards the latter half of the game to the point where at the end I needed to call in backup. Like, I didn't know anyone firsthand who was playing Monster Hunter World, but I opened my game to allow to invite people, random people, to help me in that final fight because I needed it. Never really needed that in Monster Hunter Rise, but that's not to say that it was an easy game. It's just that to me, out of all the Monster Hunters that I've played so far, which is honestly just two, Rise and World, Rise to me was the more accessible one 
and the more free-flowing one. And it wasn't just because I was able to take the game with me on the go on the Switch to be able to knock out certain side quests and get some busy work done during lunch breaks or sometime at home where I knew I didn't need to like fully pay attention as far as the story was concerned, but I can kind of grind out things in the background, take it with me on the go to the girlfriends or etc. But it was also certain little features whether of traversal whether it be with the wing i can't remember what they're called the wing bugs something i can't remember what they're called but the little bugs that you can zip line to to then help you um, apply a sense of verticality to the world being able to go across you know uh mountains or hills and 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 plateaus to be able to navigate and zip line your way up and make things easier on you to climb across and then, of course, the implementation of your pets or palimutes specifically, you know, the little doggos, the monster hunter doggos that you can ride and make things easier to navigate and much, much quicker, too, because your character, after a while, their, their stamina is going to have an effect as to how you know, slow or fast you are. And so being able to add better traversal options, being able to manage your inventory a whole lot better and kind of concentrate everything while at the same time making it accessible and then giving you the option to be like, okay, if you really want a challenge, you got all this end game stuff that is a little bit more diverse, uh, slightly diverse. I understand that diversity came more so in the in the form of a, of a patch later on in the form of a brand new ending because that at first the, the end game stuff was mostly just monsters that you've already killed, but they're alpha versions. So like souped up versions of the character of the, of the monsters you already killed. So it was a little repeat there, but at least they patched it in at no additional cost with a brand new ending, brand new content to kind of keep you uh, satiated while at the same time, still feeling manageable and digestible for someone who was relatively new to the monster hunter series. Like I said, world was my first game, but rise to be honest, is probably my preferred one and so far one of my favorite games to come out of the switch this year number four it takes two now i have a little bit of a confession i hate this because it's also another effect of 2021 due to scheduling and obviously right now with what's going on with the pandemic it's a little difficult to be able to kind of finalize this but at the time of this recording, I technically have still not beaten this game. So I don't know if the finale will do anything to move the game in one direction or another. But as of right now, about three quarters of the way through, me and the girlfriend have gotten three or quarters of It Takes Two done. We're almost at the end. But so far, it's fitting a very comfy... It's sitting very comfortably in my number four spot. And the reason why... And that, that's just it. Uh, that's also another reason why I haven't been able to beat it is because me and the girlfriend are playing it. It's meant to be a cooperative game from Joseph Ferris, who's known for cooperative games like uh, A Way Out and Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. And the reason why this is at number four is that even though I had my qualms that I mentioned on the podcast before about how the story is compelling enough, but the actual relationship between the two central characters that's supposed to be a married married couple on the brink of divorce doesn't really feel like a married couple. They feel more like friends who are going through a uh, rough patch as opposed to a divorced couple or a soon-to-be-divorced couple. The character of Dr. Hakim is annoying. The book, the talking book, I find I find him kind of irritating personally. So there's some blemishes here, but where the game really, really shines and never cease to put a smile on my face is the actual gameplay. The gameplay that succeeds on being able to take the cooperative nature of it all 
and use it to its advantage because multiple times me and the girlfriend and this is ultimately the best way to play is to play with someone that you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a couple's thing it could be you know a friend thing but it's definitely someone that you know someone on couch preferably if if the because of the way things are right now with the pandemic or certain logistical circumstances call for it then go ahead and go you know play it over online but if you can, if you can definitely manage, play with it on someone that's literally sitting next beside you because you're going to have the most optimal experience. And that's exactly how me and the girlfriend were playing. And that's how we genuinely felt about it because a number of times these puzzles, these mechanics, the whimsy of it all never failed to put a smile on my face. There were a number of times where something would just unfold on the map as far as the powers that are given to you throughout different levels of the game depending on the character that you play as, because sometimes you'll be given a power that the other character doesn't have, but it's your power that the other character requires out of you and vice versa. You require them to use their power to benefit you and get you across a certain part of the level. And that's ultimately the heart and soul of cooperative gameplay, while at the same time being ingenious with its design, with the way that the game looks. The game looks gorgeous. It's really, really pretty. A couple of bugs here and there, but nothing that was game-breaking. Um... And overall, like I said, it's just the design, the the way everything is just scoped out from a microscopic level to make you feel like these two toys made out of clay and wood that had it, its charm just imbued into me. That as I play it, I'm like, yeah, you know, the story may not be the best and the the nature of the characters may not be the most convincing, but god damn this gameplay. Just like I said, I had a smile on my face throughout the majority of it. I say the majority because there's one little, well... There's one part in the game that still had me smiling, but for the wrong reasons. It wasn't a terrible moment, but it was definitely a moment where you look at the game and go, okay, you you uh, you, you, you went there. And my girlfriend was just shocked. She was just in awe, like, oh my god, they did that? And I'm like, yeah, they did. And, um, you know, we have yet to see any kind of catharsis or, uh, you know, uh, kind of comeuppance come out of that because I feel like, there has to be some circumstances behind this, and I feel like we have yet to come across that. Uh, and if we don't, then that's going to be another demerit on the storytelling. But otherwise, though, I have no problem believing this winning Game of the Year like it did at the Game Awards. Because so far, the actual sense of wonder and imagination put into some of those, this level design and the puzzle mechanics and the way that the cooperative is essential for this kind of game is something that is very hard to come by in today's gaming industry. Number three, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart for the PlayStation 5. And yeah, here's the thing. I mentioned in my review that I did post on YouTube and also throughout my streams that I personally prefer the 2016 remake because there was a little something that was kind of somewhat missing out of Rift Apart. But as far as looking back at this year and what it provided as far as entertainment value, as far as set piece action, as far as badassery with the different weapons that were at my disposal as either Ratchet or, um, God, good God, I'm forgetting her name, uh, but, uh, you know, the female Lombax uh, counterpart. Rivet. There you go. Rivet. Oh, my God. I just I completely I, I knew it was coming. I knew it started with a R. Uh, Rivet, who generally felt like a different character. It didn't feel like a reskin. She had her own kind of like gravity and physics as opposed to Ratchet. But 
it, it, it was one of those games that it is a good game, but it's amplified a little better by the fact that you are playing it on next-gen hardware, and the game itself is complementing the hardware to show what it can do. Whether it be, of course, the the sentence that everybody likes to use, which is that the game looks like a Pixar movie, and it does. From cutscene to gameplay, it's seamless as far as like you know color saturation and lighting effects and volumetric pixels and all that crazy moment jumble stuff. But it's also the way that the SSD works, being able to teleport between the different worlds without literally almost no load screens. Uh, I was a little bummed out to see that there was very little replay value at the end of it, but in terms of one point A to point B roller coaster ride that Ratchet and Crank Rift Apart was, there's not much more that I can really say except that this was one of the most fun experiences that I had this year with characters that I genuinely love and I'm also open to seeing again, especially in the way that this game uh, ends. I'm not going to, don't worry, no spoilers, but. There's a thing that it does with particular characters that are both old and brand new to the series through this entry that I look at and I go, eh, let's 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 see what more they can do as far as interdimensional travel and what else uh, they could probably pull from this franchise going forth with the PlayStation 5 and the capable hardware. I just hope that we can do a little bit more as far as maybe emotion or character development because I feel like that's where it was mostly lacking. And, you know, sure, you can look at the past games for proper character development between Ratchet and Clank because they have a whole series behind them. But, let's, like I said, Rivet and a couple of other characters, one in particular that are brand new and newly introduced to this series in this entry... We can definitely see more compelling angles of them, particularly Rivet. I feel like between the two that I have in mind right now, Rivet is the one that I'm like, eh, you know, she definitely has a hook, you know, quite literally, you know, with her robotic arm. But emotionally, she has that hook about what happened to her arm that ties us to her. I just wish that we could probably explore just a little bit more about her um, to in further entries going forth in a way that could still showcase the capabilities of the PS5 while at the same time delivering the fun and delivering the heart and soul that we were able to see just a little better in the 2016 Ratchet. Speaking of games that were just pure fun roller coaster rides from this past year, number two, Resident Evil Village. And it's funny because we're still keeping in mind the another you know reoccurring thing here with Ratchet and Clank, where I personally prefer Resident Evil Seven Biohazard as far as a genuine survival horror Resident Evil game. That game had it leaned more so towards the survival horror nature because of how isolated and claustrophobic it was to play in this rural Louisiana bayou home. And it's, I wasn't the only one too. I, I wasn't in the minority with that. A lot of people actually prefer that, especially after playing Village. But looking at it from the perspective of the games that came out in 2021, Village still is a polished, fun, action horror experience that, you know, it has horror aesthetics and horror properties, but it definitely leans more so towards the craziness that Resident Evil was starting to lean towards around the Resident Evil 4 period, while at the same time not going full on Michael Bay like Resident Evil 5 or 6 did. So it's still able to kind of withhold itself a little bit. It does have some Michael Bayisms towards the end. One segment in particular, I was like, wow, is this even the same game anymore? But as you navigate the entire story and the village and Castle Dimitrisk, uh, as Ethan Winters in this uh, storyline that kind of uh, gives him a sense of closure as a character that at first we did, you know, uh, you can 
love him or hate him. I know that a lot of people are kind of on the fence as how they feel about Ethan Winters uh, amongst the pantheon of Resident Evil characters. He's definitely not in anybody's really top favorite list. But I would say that Village did a good job of, of me making me feel bad for this rather little fa- faceless protagonist because we never really see his face. There's so many cutscenes that are actually from a third-person perspective, but they do as much as they can to cover up his face. I'm like, why? Why, why are we doing this? But aside from that, I was actually kind. He kind of won me over towards the end, where I was like, all right, you know, you definitely stood out to me more so than in. Um, then in uh, Biohazard, because in multiple times in Biohazard, I was just looking at Ethan like, why are you here? Leave. You can leave. Whereas in Village, there's more of a reason for him to stay. Not only physically, because there's certain doors that are completely locked and he has no choice to then to press forward, but also from an emotional and compelling nature. There were so many aspects that I was like, okay, I, if I was you in this position, I actually would not leave. Um, you know, there's not enough science for me to tell me to leave. There's enough, there's enough at stake here for me to be like, all right, you know, I got the training now. I, I know what I've been dealt with in the past. I know what to look for now. Let's go on, go on and press on through. And so there was definitely a honing in on that and what made me really enjoy village and kind of got me on board for the ride, regardless of how, Kind of crazy and over the top some of these uh, elements can get. I mean, there's some segments that are genuine survival horror. One in particular where a little something is kind of chasing chasing you throughout a floor and you don't really have anything to help you fight back. Or the absurdity of another character that is practically Magneto in Resident Evil uh, form. (laughs) Um, So, but... There was always a constant, and that constant was fun. I I never really felt like shit was a little too crazy or annoying uh, to put me off. Like, from beginning to end, it was consistent, it was coherent, it was polished. Like, and playing it on PlayStation 5, I don't think there was really an upgrade for this game, but nevertheless, on PlayStation 5, it still looked pristine and clear. I think there was ray tracing enabled, so a little bit of the reflections off the the golden um it, the, the golden uh, properties of the Dem- castle Demetresque inside of the mansion inside of the castle halls and then the main hall with the staircases the the Romanian kind of nature or Transylvanian nature of the, the the design work everything was just immaculate and it's a game I'll tell you this right now it's a game I would not mind revisiting a second time possibly on a hard difficulty I actually would not be opposed to that not anytime soon because I'm a little burnt out by Resident Evil games right now because I was trying to play through all the main mainline ones throughout this past 2021 year. But eh, maybe in the future, I'll, I'll, I will not be opposed to trying to go through the Village of Shadows difficulty with this game with an M- infinite ammo setting turned on because I enjoyed Resident Evil Village that much. So that only leaves us with my number one pick. But before we do, let's tackle some honorable mentions and some dishonorable missteps. Eh, only a couple. But as far as honorable mentions of games that didn't make the cut is Guardians of the Galaxy. In fact, I think this was my number six game. So if if I was making a top ten, it would have been a number six and almost would have broken the top five if it wasn't for the infuriating nature of Rocket in this game. Rocket, as as well as the Guardians, never learning to shut up. I mean, they were grading, especially to have this game be a streaming-only game that I made as one of my last games to actually stream for 2021. It was diff- it, 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 at times, especially towards the beginning, it was kind of tough to kind of push through the, some of the combat because the guardians would just not shut the fuck up. And I wish that there was a setting to get them to shut up. 
And apart from that, like I said, Rocket was not exactly the most likable. I prefer the Bradley Cooper version in the MCU as opposed to this one because this one was just finding excuses to blow things up when you know, in fact, that he's compromising the mission and he made himself very unlikable in that sense. That towards the end where they were trying to make him, you know, a root, a, a, a character to root for, I was just like, yeah, a little too late, too, too little too late, buddy. I'm sorry, but no. And a little bit of that gameplay got a little padded out and repetitive towards the end. Like, the, it started to wore a little thin at me as far as repeating that said gameplay, which at the beginning, or rather in the first two-thirds of the game, was actually really cool. Yes, I resonate with everybody else saying that Peter by himself feels kind of weak, especially with his shooters. But ultimately, you learn really quickly that the main thing that keeps the gameplay fun, for the most part, up until the third act for me personally is the mixture of the of everything the sum of its parts if you will where it's not just peter fighting but it's also you controlling the other guardians through a, a, a strategy of tactical maneuvers and you know button presses ma- making sure that you're cho- picking and choosing the right enemies to use Drax on to use gamora on using the environment and then of course performing your huddle to make sure that you're getting the right buffs as well as also making sure you're managing the right rpg elements whether it be the skill points that you can add to each character or the different perks that you can unlock for just peter by himself it was learning and combining all these things together that then made uh, Guardians a worthwhile experience, despite not cracking my top five. Another honorable mention, The Ascent, a top-down a top down isometric uh, twin-stick shooter that really, really nails the cyberpunk as- aesthetic. As far as the level of detail and the lore, it's just immaculate. Comes up very, very short on the story side of things. Like the story is just pretty meh. And then a little bit of the voice work could use some polishing. Some some of it is great, but then others is like, okay, you're just repeating the same gargling noises over and over by just applying different subtitles. But I know for a fact I heard the same sound bite over and over. So it's like a little lazy on that part. And then from time to time, I did come across some bugs, some of which were funny, but then others were in fact game-breaking and required me to shut down the game and restart from my last checkpoint before I was able to properly save and actually keep some of my loot that I was able to get. But the reason why I was just so annoyed with some of those uh, bugs was because actually going through the different levels and shooting down enemies, gathering the loot, gathering the, the, the resources to be able to level up my character, get better guns, get better equipment and armor and stuff like that, while at the same time being invested in the cyberpunk world that looked absolutely very much influenced by Blade Runner in the, all the right ways, um, was very uh, invigorating for me and was very enthralling for me that I was like, if they ever make an Ascent 2... I'm down for it, especially if it does end up being dropped on day one on Game Pass. Just make sure it's a little bit polished up because I don't want to be you know, spending some extra time on some of these uh, areas of the game that are just going to penalize me. And my last honorable mentioned is actually the game I was trying to wrap up. Part of my What I've Been Playing segment. Halo Infinite. Oh man, I so desperately wanted to put this game in my top five, but... Let's just say I have a love-hate relationship with this game because there's so many aspects about the game that I love as far as the nature of the story to kind of give closure to Master Chief and his relationship with Cortana. I love that it's open uh, that they we're trying to do something different with the open world. And I love the grapple hook. It makes traversal upon, upon the open world as well as the different... Uh, 
towers that you can capture, or as they call the forward operating bases, the FOBs, to not only make fast travel a little bit easier, but also the whole angle of being able to call upon resources for ammo, for weaponry, for vehicles is so awesome within the Halo aesthetic that I'm like, yes, this is awesome. There's also so much about the game that I hate. I don't know what, I don't know if it's just me, but they tweaked the enemies to fit an open world kind of aesthetic, but that would traditionally be fine if Chief himself didn't feel so slow. I don't know what it is, but that's why I was also, you know, relying on the grapple hook so much was because, I don't know if it's just me, but Chief felt slower than in other games, and because of that, they made, I don't know if it's the enemies were made faster or he was made slower, but there's times where I'm trying to outrun an enemy so that my shield could regenerate and I can kind of think of a different plan, a different weapon or whatever. And yet this fucker just comes out of nowhere and just either punches me or just empties a clip into me and boom, I'm dead. I had so many points of frustration with this game, especially because it's meant to be open world, so it's not as linear as the other ones. There's, It gets kind of linear at the beginning and at the end, so it, the most of the open worldness of the game comes into play more so towards the second, more so in just the second act. And it's during those moments where there were some awesome firefights, but likewise, there's also some segments where I get bamboozled into thinking that the enemy was coming from one direction, but because it's open world, they come out of they come they I get surrounded, and even the chief is not able to, you know, fully get out of that one. It also doesn't help that I appreciate. What they were trying to do with some of the open worldness of this game going in a different direction. But if you're going to go into that different direction, go all the way. Because there's so many open world aspects about this game that they don't go open. Uh, they, they don't go all the way with. They almost go halfway or even a quarter way. Whether it be the open world, it's not that open to begin with. And it's not as huge as it could have been. Uh, some of the side content, you know, there's some you know bases that you can take out and then like i mentioned the fobs that you can kind of overtake so to make fast traveling a little bit easier there's some bounties that you can do in the form of targets that need eliminating as well as these uh firefights you can help out a specific uh, team of us and us and unsc soldiers out in the open and kind of re you know add them to your reinforcements but once you do one of each of these things there's not a whole lot of incentive to want to keep doing them unless you want to get all the Spartan cores to upgrade your uh, your Master Chief, which I was able to do easily. Like, it's not even that much of a challenge. There's only like five upgrades and you unlock them all within like the first couple of hours and then being able to upgrade them all requires just a little bit of dedication, but most so on the sense of time, not so much the sense of effort. You just kind of have to go around the map, look out for those Spartan Core icons, you know, track them down, and there you go. So I was like, yeah, that's why. If you're going to go open world, go all the way. And you could argue that maybe Halo Infinite is a way to kind of test those waters, but it left me wanting more. So if they do make another Halo and it's meant to be open world, especially with the way this one leaves off on with both the legendary ending and the post credits, the scrapped post credit scenes and the way that things are kind of insinuated towards the end, I would say, okay, I'm definitely down for it, especially if it's on Game Pass. But if you're going to do open world again, go all the way. Please go all the way. Like, don't do it half measured and also make sure that Chief doesn't purposely and deliberately feel slower than the enemies because there was just so many areas where I was legitimately like starting to fear like, am I stuck? 
I think I might be stuck because there's nothing that I can do. There was one segment towards the end that's not even in the open world. It's in within this enclosed segment of the game where I can't go anywhere. I'm inside of a structure. It's part of the story. There's no way to exit out. And I'm up against a wave of enemies that just out of nowhere, just, there's no wiggle room. There's no breathing room. I can't switch, switch out. Uh, the, the way that the game saved my checkpoint is almost like a soft lock. So... If we can keep away from that while at the same time going more in the direction of open world, uh, I know pe some people are probably sick of open world at this point, but if you're going to take what you the seeds that you planted here within the Halo universe or, or within the context of it being a Halo game, I can see so much potential. You just, you know, got to take that leap of faith. And as far as dishonorable mentions or bad misses of 2021, not too many. I can only really think of two in particular, one of which I covered on my miscellaneous YouTube channel, which is Away. Uh, I can't even remember what the subtitle was, but it was a game called Away where you play as a flying squirrel or uh, I can't remember what the... Um, God damn it, a fruit catcher? I can't remember. Oh, oh Sugar Glider. I'm sorry. The, the official name is called the Sugar Glider. It's meant to play out as a nature documentary. But the game is just so janky in some areas that it was, you know, it started off kind of novel. But as it unfolded during its five hour, five to six hour campaign, I just got more and more frustrated that I'm like, just let me finish this, please. And if a game is making me wish that, it's definitely not good. And then the other game I know for a fact I'm in the minority of. But it was a game that I raged quit this year. I didn't even finish. And I was like... That's probably going to be, and the game out for 20, I, I know that there's like two other games that I rated quit, but they were not from 2021. They were older games, but this is one of the only other games I rated quit from this year that did come out this year. And I definitely felt like I was in the minority with this one. Hot Wheels Unleashed mentioned this already a handful of times on the podcast that ultimately I appreciated the level of polish and production behind the game and the attention to detail as far as the sculpting and the, the modeling of the cars themselves, the amount of cars that are presented in the game, whether it be ga uh, cars from the legacy of Hot Wheels to franchises that people love, like the DeLorean or the Batmobile. But I could just not get behind the 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 the, the drifting mechanic. The drifting mechanic just felt off one hundred percent, and the AI is just so rubber bandy. And that's on normal difficulty. When I toggle it down to easy difficulty, it will get a little too dumb to where there was no challenge in and of whatsoever. And eventually I got to a part of the game where I just had to rage quit because in order to progress further, I needed to do some time trials. But because the difficulty can only be changed via the AI and not because of the drift mechanics or the physics... Because I'm there for an hour just trying to hit one time trial requirement. I was fed up and I deleted it off of my PS5 and I could just not go back to it. Maybe in the future I'll give it a second go. But for now this was definitely one of my least pleasant moments of 20 or one of my least pleasant gaming experiences out of 2021 thus far. <laughs> With that cleanse, I now bring forth my 2021 game of the year. I know that since then, it has become a little bit of a commodity to hate on this game. But 
regardless of all the points that have been made about what this game could have been as far as it being improved or giving more flexibility to freedom and sense of choice, I still absolutely adored my experience playing Deathloop. Obviously, if you have been there since the get-go from the streams or on the YouTube channel, you know that I've just praised Deathloop to no end. And after, you know, thinking about it, I was like, no other game has come close to Deathloop as far as a fun experience as I had, even more so than Resident Evil Village or Ratchet and Clank, because being able to kind of utilize the level of playability and powers and physics that I knew I fell in love with within this engine from the games of Dishonored to Prey from Arcane Studios, I knew I was going to be kind of gelling with it really really well and being able to play the way that I want to within the environment. I understand. I definitely hear people's arguments as far as how the game kind of funnels its way down as you unfold clues down to one singular solution at the end. A lot of people didn't like that. I... I don't know what it is. It just didn't bother me. I could have used some better sense of freedom for the end scenario, if you will. But I don't know if it's because at the time I was going through a bad uh, phase of managing my own personal time. Not just for within the game, but just gaming overall or content creation or where I was at in my life. That I didn't mind that the game funneled its way into one solution that I can look at and go, okay. And also, this was also a game that I was streaming. So, you know, as far as time management and all that stuff, I saw that one possible solution or one singular solution as a way of being like, well, my sense of investigation kind of uh, paid off in in the sense that I was able to arrive at this a little quicker and a little bit less frustratingly than others because others are probably going to have a tougher time without unfolding the right amount of clues. And it definitely, you know, gave me this, this pleasure pleasurable experience of, you know, Feeling smarter than I already am. It was kind of like for a sense of escapism. And I know that sounds dumb. I I know that others are going to hear me and go, that's not what a game should do or whatever. I know. I know. But where I'm at in life, turning 30, you know, still dealing with the pandemic to a certain extent. I, I actually appreciate a lot of the work from home situations. But in terms of where I was at the time. There was just this level of escapism that Deathloop provided with me as far as the 60s aesthetic, the soundtrack, the badassery of some of the powers. When I found that those two pistols that they can, that then can combine into a singular SMG, it's, it's on my stream. I clipped it. I clipped a segment from that stream where just the look on my face is like, oh my god, this, was, this is so fucking awesome awesome like it, that's just that's just what's the game screamed to me it's fucking awesome like you know uh, fun i understand that they could have done a better job of allowing better possibilities for the endings to play out uh better endings overall because even i have to admit that the endings are not exactly the best i you know i could have done better with them but the journey that i had playing this game i just I would be down to go through it again, probably at a difficulty, at a harder difficulty, or uh, trying to go through some more rounds playing as Juliana, which is all was also fun. You know, there were so many times where trying to play cat and mouse with this other player as uh, Cole and me as Juliana had its own sense of adventure. And so I would say Deathloop is my favorite game of 2021, despite its imperfections. And with that, 
I close my game of the year discussion and this episode of the Dark Spider cast. Now, one little question that did float around in my head is whether or not I will be open to doing a 2022 game of the year discussion by the end of the year. I know it's a little too early to tackle that because as of right now, like I said, I'm not streaming anymore. I'm focusing more on the niche channel. It's very much up in the air. If I was to make a firm decision right now, like gun to my head, would you make a game of the year 2022? Honestly, the answer would be no, because I am not, a, you know, uh, you know, this is not my profession being a video game critic. I'm not officially licensed. You know, this is not what I'm known for on the interwebs. It's not. So, you know. Having a game of the, you know, I'm not skill up. I'm not Jeremy Johns. I'm not IGN. I'm not um, any of these other, you know, Digital Foundry, any of those other people on YouTube that when they post their game of the year 2021, people flock to check out what their lists are. Uh, I'm none of those people. So because of that, unless I become one of those people by the end of 2022, um, the plan right now is honestly not to do a game of the year uh, uh, 2022 list, but that's not necessarily going to you know, rule out the pot, rule out the the probability of me simply picking out some games that I'm genuinely excited for. Hell yeah, I'm picking up Dying Light 2 and Horizon 2 Day 1. Even if I might not do a game of the year discussion uh, this time next year, I'm I'm hyped for those games. I'm gonna play them day one. I, I don't I don't give a shit. I'm not I'm not covering these games immediately on stream or on as YouTube content, but I'm going to be playing them. Man, well, to be honest, maybe as like short form content, like vertical content on TikTok or Instagram reels or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? But those games I'm hyped enough to want to pick up day one. And so far, there's no plans to kind of derail me from that. Whether they play into a game of the year discussion, we shall see. But the, uh, at the same time, that also serve for some good content to talk about on the Dark Spider cast, which I'm hoping will keep going strong into 2022 i'm still going to be taking uh breaks every 10 episodes to start up a new season this is only episode six so we still got the back half of season two to tackle brand new set of news i just started a new game that i'm going to be tackling next week on the what i've been playing segment and hopefully a couple of others to to have some other stuff other material to talk about especially since i'm not streaming uh as of right now so Definitely uh, a lot of things to look forward to in 2022 as far as games because it looks like, you know, some protocols have been made in place and some games are finally going to be coming out because, like I said before, 2021 was going to be the one to take the hit, but 2022 is looking a little sharper. It's looking a little sharper. If my last episode, which was the final one of 2021, the anticipated games of 2022, was anything to, to go by, it looks like we got a full stack. And my wallet is about to it's about to go on life support. As my lungs are now after talking for damn near almost two hours. I don't know how long this podcast episode will end up playing out. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for contributing and staying along. Here's to a fruitful 2022 for all us all. But most importantly, a safe one and a healthy one. Please stay safe and healthy. And make sure you're taking all the precautions. Because Omicron don't give a shit. All right? But you should to keep everyone that, that yourself and everyone that you love safe. Because like right now, you know, going through this worrisome situation with my girlfriend, I don't wish this on anybody. Even though it's doing all right. But like I said, if you can help it, you can do it. 
Otherwise, guys, check out the social media platform links in the description of the platform platform of choice that you're listening to this on to keep in touch, especially on the niche YouTube channel. More content is going to be going up every Tuesday and Friday starting next week. And as always, guys, stay humble. I'll, I'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care.